Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And, and this, this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. And we are back on the podcast. It has been a little bit of a hiatus. I apologize for the long delay in releasing new episodes. Obviously, it was a chaotic summer for a number of reasons, but in any case, we are back and we're starting back up with an amazing episode today where I talk with Cindy Lockhart. She is a registered dietitian and nutritionist, and she focuses on integrative and functional, being the key word, nutrition. She's a certified practitioner. She's the founder of Lockhart Wellness Solutions. She's helping a bunch of people every day, and the, the quote that she has on her website and that she lives by is that, we do not have to fall victim to our family genetics. We can create the life that we want with our health. Um, it's a very empowering episode. Um, you'll leave feeling like you can take life into your own hands and having a lot of resources to do so. So on this episode, we dive into gut health, intermittent fasting, how you can use food as medicine, why the standard American diet or STAD is not allowing our body to function optimally. And we talk about what you can do about it. Um, especially during this time of quarantine and distancing. Um, there's a lot of impacts on not only our physical, but also our mental health as well. So uh, Cindy is likely to end up being a repeat guest because we had so much stuff that we didn't even get to cover. Um, and Cindy was actually recommended to us from a previous star guest on our show, Kylene Bogdan. So I know for a fact that you will love this episode. Um, the other super cool part for us, for me personally, is that Cindy is located in uh, Tom and I's homeland state of Minnesota. But the good news for you is that she does all of her um, visits and consultations virtually. So no matter where you are at across the nation, you're going to be able to benefit from Cindy's help. Um, she's an absolutely amazing resource to have, and I promise that you will find great value in the show today. Additionally, because you're listening to this, she is putting on a completely free, totally free webinar for the holiday season. So it's called Our Favorite Things, and it's getting ready for healthy gift giving in 2020. So uh, Cindy is joined by Mandy from Lockhart Wellness Solutions, and they share some of their favorite gift ideas for your loved ones. Um, so whether your uh, recipients are new or experienced, uh, basically to help you live a healthier life, they've got you covered. And that is Tuesday, November 24th at 6 p.m. Central Time central time so look at your, your time zone there and make that conversion if you're on the east coast or west coast um, and again this is going to give you great ideas for that 2020 gift giving season um, not only for others but also for yourself too you can treat yourself so the how is email cindy at cindy at lockhart-wellness.com to register for this event i'm also going to have that in the show notes so you can just pull that up and register from there again completely free webinar that is probably going to help a lot of us out i will be tuning into that as well um, and once you hear this episode by the way you're going to want to hear more from cindy so please do uh, check out that webinar but also check out her website because um, again she's able to help anyone across the nation she does it virtually which is the way to go especially in this day and age of covid um, so we'll have all of that in the show notes and yes, please enjoy this show. Let's continue to grow together and change the system. 
guess the first thing I want to start with is when I was looking at your website after Kylene first introduced us to you, I saw the quote that I absolutely love. And I know I've mentioned this to you multiple times where it said, we don't have to fall victim to our family genetics. We can create the life we want with our help. So what does that mean to you? And like, what made you like come to that? I love that question because that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing is I'm so passionate about it. And I love having that question asked like, Oh, I have high cholesterol in my family. I have cancer in my family. I have diabetes in my family. I'm going to get it. Like, Hey, the good news is that is such a small percentage. It's on average genetics plays about 25 to 30% of the role in whether you're going to get that condition. Uh, So that means 70 plus percent is on you. It's how you choose to eat and live or choose not to eat and live that will express those genes. So you can literally turn up or on down or off your genes by how you live. And and especially coming, you know, growing up in a family that over the years, I've got two older brothers and my parents who are are now um, have now passed, but everybody, you know, was overweight, obese, had medical conditions, like multiple medications and, and multiple medical conditions. And I just, you know, I looked and I said, no, I, I don't want that. And I'm going to do everything in my power to prevent that from happening. So that's just something that I personally am passionate about. And so I just really want to help empower others to have that same thought process is that you don't have to be victim. It's like, we are in the driver's seat. So that's, that's kind of your, like your motivation to begin with, like early motivation was like your family and seeing that kind of play out. Like at, yeah, at, what, at what age did you realize like, Hey, nutrition is something that's super important. And I need to like figure this out because this is impacting my loved ones. <laughs> I love that too. So this goes way back because I, I grew up in a family of processed foods and fast foods because my mom did not like to cook. She wasn't a very good cook. So we barely had homemade meals. It was a lot of things out of a box or like I said, Taco Bell or White Castle. And and I was overweight. I didn't have any energy, gastrointestinal issues. And, you know, no wonder, Um, but I didn't know any different because that's just the way we were living. And then I had my tonsils out at 16 and I lost weight because I couldn't eat. I'm like, oh, there's muscles beneath that fat. And I actually got inspired to, to change my ways. And because I, I think organically, I liked and preferred to eat healthy, um, but I just didn't grow up that way. So I didn't know, know that. And so that was kind of the, the impetus of kind of what turned me around. And I joined the gym and started working out on a daily basis. And, and I didn't even know nutrition was a career until I went to college. I actually went in with the thought that I was going to be an accountant. And oh, really? <laughs> and one course, I'm like, oh, no. That's not going to do it. And then I I took a career development course and found that dietetics was a career. And I just remember being so ecstatic. I mean, I I can get paid for this. And and so that's how it started. Um, And and so I even became vegetarian at a point in um, through high school into early college because of, of like if my mom did make some meat, there was never any flavoring in it and it was really tough and dry and like let's just get away from that Uh, but then I knew that my body needed it and so again I I kind of took control of that 
And then I think, you know, in regards to, I know we're going to talk about functional versus conventional. It was, you know, having my own health issues after having my son and going to the doctor and having all of these symptoms and like not being okay with how I was feeling or how it's functioning, mm-hmm. but he didn't listen. He even did testing and it showed me out of range, which is a whole nother story and said, I'm still not going to do anything until, you know, it's even higher. Like, but you're not hearing me. I can't function. And so I, I just wasn't ready to take no for an answer. So I went home and got on the World Wide web and started researching and found functional medicine. And, and that was another huge light bulb that went off and make that makes sense. You know, the body is interconnected and, and everybody's going to respond differently. And so that's kind of what drove me down that path as well is not being, uh, not, not giving into just being okay, is I wanted to feel awesome and optimal, no matter what stage of life I was in. That, uh, when you were talking there, my mind just went so many different places, so I'm trying to catch up. Um, <laughs> so, so first off, when you were talking about how you were eating as a child growing up, it sparked in my mind where I'm like, similar to you, like I was super interested in, um, more so like fitness, but like always health and wellness since like a super young age. Um, and I think honestly, for me, part of it was I was a super skinny kid and it was kind of like an insecurity. So it's like, okay, I got to get big. I got to get strong, you know, whatever. So this, this is going to kind of sound like nails on a chalkboard to you. But when I was growing up, literally the only thing that I would look at, and I like thought I was kind of educated on it, the only thing I would look at was the amount of protein and everything that I would eat. Cause I was like, protein makes me big. So like, I would look at a frozen pizza and be like, okay, if I eat this whole thing, I get like 24 grams of protein. Like that's good. So then I put one of those down and then like, I would take insane amounts of whey protein and I couldn't figure out why my gut was just terrible. And it was because like, all I cared about was the protein intake. So interesting. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, I, I kind of feel you on that. Um, and then the other thing that you said that that really is huge and I want everyone like listening to focus on is like having symptoms and feeling like, okay, or feeling like you're just like getting through the day is not normal. Like that is not optimal living. That is not like, like that doesn't make you want to like get up and out of bed every morning. And um, like you said with the doctor where like the, and we'll get into this more later too, I guess, but like the current healthcare system is super good at addressing acute issues and like saving your life. And it's, it's great at that. Um, But there are certain things, like you said, where you go in and I've had similar experiences too, where it's like, I don't feel good. Like, like I have these symptoms, I'm on all this like medication for asthma and different things. And my body just like, doesn't feel good, but because my numbers aren't in a certain range, you're not going to do anything about it. Or, or you're just going to up my medication or whatever it might be. And I'm with you where like that just didn't sit well. And I, I felt more like I need to have more autonomy in this situation. I need to take more control in this situation. And I think even when you get your mind thinking that way, it's super empowering. So like that quote that we talked about at the, at the start where it's like, you don't have to fall victim to your family genetics. That's, that's super empowering to even start thinking that way where it's not like, oh, you know, my, my grandpa had knee issues. My dad had knee issues. So I'm going to have knee issues. Like, no, there's, there's a lot of things you can do. And, you know, same with what you're talking about. So those were two things that you said that I just really wanted to emphasize. 
and kind of bold and underlined because that stood out to me. Um, so you were saying as far as getting into like conventional versus functional, what kind of led you down that path as like your personal story and then dive into like differentiating the two for the people listening so they understand what we're talking about? Perfect. Yeah. Cause I want to come back to the symptoms because you're exactly right in regards to the conventional way, whether it's nutrition or medicine. So really conventionally, and that's how I, I'm really sad to see decades later that nutritionists, dietitians are still trained the exact same way that I was. Mm-hmm. You would think that we would figure it out and like turn this around, but no, uh, we still aren't. So we we're all trained conventionally, which means that we're looking at each person as a one size fits all and a segregated part. You know, so mm-hmm. if you have reflux, that's all it is. Or if you have diarrhea, that's in the gut, or if you have asthma, that's in the lung. You know, so we're segregating the parts. We don't realize that all parts are connected and it's all about calories in calories out, no matter what that calorie is coming from. And, and it's really that treatment. So in regards to nutrition, you know, so I'll take it back. Like what, what the analogy that I use in to, that really gets people light bulbs going off in regards to functional versus conventional medicine is if you have a symptom and you go to the doctor, just like you are saying, what are you getting? You're getting a medication. You're getting a band-aid to really just cover up that symptom. And so what I, what I let people know is like, let's think about that. Your insomnia isn't a trazodone deficiency. Your depression is not a Zoloft deficiency. Your heartburn is not a Nexium deficiency. You know, there's something deeper that is off. And so we just have to really dial in and find out all of these different nutrition lifestyle habits that can affect whatever you're dealing with and know that, you know, one part is connected to the next. So that's functional. Functional is really looking at the personalization. So conventional looks at a part of the body or a disease. You are a disease. You have cancer. You are cancer. You have diabetes, you are diabetes. No, you are an individual, you are a person. And and so what works for you, even though you may have the same conditions that somebody else has, may not work at all for that next person. Uh, So it has to be individualized and understanding that all of our parts are connected. So let's get to the root of why you're not where you want to be. And even the symptoms, symptoms are absolutely common. We all have them, but they're not normal. And so that really is a sign, huh, okay, let me think about what am I doing or what am I not doing? I hear that every single day, every single day. And these are folks that, you know, especially fatigue, fatigue and insomnia, those are two really, really common ones. And, and, and I'll have people say, it's probably just because I'm getting older. And, they, and, and they're being told that by their doctors. And you know what, Brad, they are in their 30s. Yeah. Like this is not because of age. We just got to step back and really think through this. I, yes. I mean, I hear that more times than I wish I did. And I can't imagine in your shoes. And when you were, when you were saying that, it's like, what I kept coming back to is functional is practical. Like it makes sense when you think about it, that I I had never heard it phrased in that way before of um, like insomnia is not a deficiency in the medication that you take to treat insomnia same thing with, you know, depression. depression or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. And that is such a powerful way to think about it because it's so simple and people can like look at that and be like, Oh yeah, that does make sense. There's a deeper issue going on. And that really resonates with myself and with Tom 
uh, with bull baits because like that's our whole thing is to um, don't treat the symptoms, change the system. And I know when we first connected, you know, that was something that you talked about too. So that's awesome that everything is connected and we can make a difference. And I think that is a huge thing to highlight just throughout this whole podcast. Yeah. And I'll even bring up like, cause I know we're going to talk about a few stories, but like just one recent client that comes to mind is it's a family friend of ours who's gosh, what is he? Maybe he, I think he just turned 40 and horrible energy. You know, he was living on caffeine from start of the day to Roman Coke at the end of the day, you know, and, and then couldn't keep up. He's got three teenage to grade school kids, he had a lot of GI issues. So we did some lab testing and we changed his diet and got him drinking water and not all of his caffeine and alcohol. And within weeks, he's like, oh my God, I feel the best that I've ever felt. I've got more energy than I thought I could ever have. You know, just like the minor changes, and that's no supplementation, nothing other than changing what he was eating and having water instead of coffee on the front end of the day and alcohol in the back end of the day, along with caffeine too. Yeah, that's amazing. What What are your personal takes on caffeine, just in general? You know, caffeine. Um, it depends on where it's coming from. You know, so we we have a lot of different sources. Coffee itself, um, I think the caffeine and the phytopolyphenols and, and phytonutrients from, from coffee and, and also from tea can have some really beneficial effects cognitively as well as on the liver. But I think you have to think about where it's coming from. So I'm a big organic advocate when it comes to coffee in particular. And even now, I mean, there's a lot more mold toxicity or fungal overgrowth. And so going for one that is also mold and mycotoxin free because our coffees and our teas are very moldy. And so that can also create issues gut wise um, and gut affects everything else. So that's, that's my take there. I mean, I think energy drinks, there's a lot of sugar. There's a lot of amino acids and things that can cause imbalances. So I think we have to, or artificial sweeteners. So, you know, being careful of like, what is the energy source? in regards yeah. to caffeine. And let's, I want to circle back uh, a little bit later onto, you know, more of your story from, from the conventional functional, but since we're going this direction, I kind of want to take it there is organic foods and, and talking about like, what is wrong with the current, like typical in quotes, typical Western style diet. And like, how does that play out with our health? Awesome. So the acronym Brad is, See, uh, it's a um, standard American diet. So the acronym is what? SAD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what that means is we're eating a lot of processed foods. And, and what that means, I was, I try to simplify things as much as I can with folks, is if you take something off of a shelf and it has a package, that's a packaged food. But it doesn't mean it's going to always be bad. You turn over the label. Don't worry about the numbers. Just get into the ingredients. And if you see a long laundry list of ingredients, things that you can't identify or even pronounce, then your body is saying the exact same thing. What do I do with it? So that's, we're getting way too many of those. And so uh, we're not getting enough of fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, anti-inflammatory fats. I think on average, the average American gets one serving of fruit and one and a half servings of vegetable a day. And wow. for optimal health, it should be seven to 11. We're not getting enough fiber. We're not getting enough, again, of those healthier fats. 
that actually help keep our cell, cell membranes in our brain, which is 60% fat healthy as well. Uh, so things like avocados, olive oil, nuts and seeds. So we're, we need some avocados for sure. Yeah. yeah, those are awesome. Nature's fruit. So it, it's just we're, we're consuming a diet in, in a sense that I say is dead. You know, it, it's just these, these refined processed food that don't give us energy. When you switch to a whole foods diet, now your body knows what to do with it and it can actually use it, which is going to create energy. So what does that do? Like, like talking like physiologically eating the STAD diet, like what does that do to the body or to the gut? Cause I think people hear about gut health and they're like, what does that mean? Like, I'm not, I don't have like gut symptoms, so I should be fine. I must be good with what I'm eating, you know? So th those are going to be a little bit different. So I, I want to come back to the gut health topic, but in regards to energy, like what food is doing in our body is think of the mitochondria. So the mitochondria are the energy powerhouses in every cell of our body. So that's what gives us energy. So I, I, I did a webinar a long time ago with a company I used to work with, and we created an image of like a factory. And so think of your mitochondria as factories. And so if it's functioning well, you've got you know, the, the white smoke coming out. So that's feeding it with, with nutrients that can fuel the mitochondria and give you energy. Whereas if we're bringing a lot of toxins and processed foods in, we're clogging it up. And so now you see that black smoke coming out. And so it's just not going to give us the same energy output. So that's more of that physiological piece in regards to energy production. And same thing with water. So, you know, we talked about caffeine. And if we think about beverages, we, we, we tend to start the day with caffeine and we end it with alcohol, especially in age with the pandemic, right? I, I was going to say, I think those numbers are both super elevated in those past eight months. <laughs> yes, because we're stressed and not sleeping. So we need the caffeine to get boosted in the day. Then we got to wind down at night, but it's water. You know, water is our absolute most important nutrient because our body is primarily water. And so even just getting people off of these other beverages or no beverages and drinking the right amount of water like, oh my gosh, I have energy because now, and, and that's, I like to use the image of if you're not well hydrated, that's like putting, pushing oxygen and nutrients through sludge to try to get to yourself. It's just not going to work. If you have enough water, you're keeping those, those vessels nice and hydrated. So you got a, a clean run to the cells. What is the right amount of water? There's no scientific evidence to, to confirm anything. But what we do know is just like individualization, every one of us have different body surfaces. So everybody is a different shape and size. So we can't all need 64 ounces a day. Right. So we, I like to use the, the ease calculation, take your weight in pounds and so half of your weight in ounces. Is that pretty accurate for most people? Okay. I actually have another part, I mean, if, you're, if your body is 70% water, again, you're, I mean, you're six, seven, I'm five, four. I mean, there's no way that we both need the same amount of water. You, you would be proud of the amount of water that I drink. I get to use for it a lot. <laughs> That's great. Not, not to be uh, too much information, but I'm, it keeps me very regular and I'm feeling good. Good. Well, and that's, that's, what's key. And, and that's, so yeah, so we got to talk about that on gut health. 
but the other thing, like, so I, w- I want to come back to that. Like, if you feel like you're peeing all the time, because that's what I hear from folks is, oh gosh, I increased my water and I, I'm always in the bathroom. Now we got to put that in perspective. What do you mean you're always in the bathroom? Right. Maybe because you have to go three or four times a day. That's not always. But if, if they're going all the time, that also is a matter of cell health. Then if you're, because if your cell is not as, as nutritional and, and high quality and permeable, that water sits outside the cell instead of getting into the cell. And so now you got to go to the bathroom more often. So that's more about cellular health. Let's get your cell healthier so that the water and your nutrients can actually come in and be used in your cell versus you just trying to filter it out. That is super interesting. So when somebody is eating like a stad diet and then they start increasing their water, they probably pee more because their cells are not healthy. And it's just like, so, so at that point, is it, um, obviously I know it's super individualized to make those changes, but like, um, trying to think of how to phrase this. So is it more important than that they start with doing the more water first, or do you need to kind of address the other stuff first because the water isn't going to be utilized that you add in addition? You know what I mean? Like, is it, is it wasted if you drink more water and your cells aren't even able to absorb it? Yeah. I mean, you're flushing your kidneys. So that's a good thing. Yeah. You're keeping them healthy. Um, he, gosh, that, I mean, that's a tough question. I mean, that's personalized. Yeah. Because I think all of these elements we're going to be talking about are going to be important for each person, but it's a matter of what are they ready to tackle first? So it's more of that, that individualization about their readiness to change in different areas. So if, focusing on what they're drinking how much they're drinking is going to be, you know, easier for them to tackle first. We could start there, but I, I would just say healthy fats. So even if they were to take a fish oil supplement, you know, that's going to help nourish the cell membrane. And then we just have to look at the quality of the water and, and maybe that's adding a little trace minerals, depending on what's going on. They might need a little electrolyte. Okay. That, that brings me to another point where, um, you know, over this, over this time in uh, COVID and quarantining, I watched that thing on Netflix, Down to Earth with Zac Efron. I don't know if okay. you ever saw it. Anyway, there's an episode where they talk about the sources of the water that you're drinking. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, is it better for me to drink the tap water out of my sink or for me to like go to the fridge and use the filter or does it depend? Yes, depends, okay. depends. Because there, and there's actually a nice water base on ewg.org, which is Environmental Working Group. So that's a, I always go on there with my clients and that's just a nice, easy, free resource. You can plug in your zip code and see what type of contaminants are in your tap water. Because our, our water system don't filter everything out. So a lot of our tap water is tainted with heavy metals, with halides that affect thyroid function, with bacteria, even pharmaceuticals, like your next door neighbor's birth control or antidepressants could be in your water. Yeah. So it, you know, that it just doesn't get filtered out. So some type of filtration is gonna be good, but I think that the gold standard right now is reverse osmosis. So that does remove over 99.5%, I believe, of contaminants. Okay. Um, but it also removes those trace minerals. So then you have to add minerals back in. How do you do that? Usually just a liquid. So there, there's a, like I use concentrate. 
So that's just like a, a liquid that comes in a blue bottle. So you add a certain amount of drops throughout the day. So it can be as easy as that. And it's just called concentrate liquid, like trace mineral concentrate or something? Yep, exactly. So it's trace mineral. And you can get that in the store? Usually like your natural food stores would have it. Otherwise you can go online to like one of the warehouse companies like Amazon and get it that way too. Perfect. I will put that ewg.org in the show notes as well. So uh, it's a great resource for living healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. You can just put in your zip code and figure out, are you drinking uh, your neighbor's birth control? <laughs> well, and they, and they won't dial down all the way to those nitty gritty, <laughs> but it, it will give you more of the chemicals. So it's a lot of your cancer causing chemicals that they'll, they'll kind of show that you might be 150 times what it should be, or, you know, 300 times. Radium, I've seen, you know, come up on, on some people's reports. Uh, there have been some, like some of, of folks that I work with up in upper Minnesota, uh, their report comes back extremely clean. So, I mean, every water system is different. So that's why I like to go on there because you don't know. Every, you, I can't even say that word, every municipality, polity, <laughs> you know, that, whatever that is called, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all filter differently. I'm not about to correct you because I have no idea how to say that either. So <laughs> <laughs> good. I don't feel so bad then. Yeah. Um, okay. So is now a good time to dive into gut health? Of course. Okay. Let's do it. Tell, tell me what I need to know about gut health. Like what does that even mean and how does that present? I agree. I think it's, it's kind of like a buzzword now. It, yeah. Some people feel like it's one of those trendy things, but it's real. I mean, if we think about our gut, our gut itself has 10 times more cells, a hundred times more genetic material than our whole body put together. So, so that's right there. That. I, I need that repeated. Our, our gut has 10 times more cells and a hundred times more genes than our whole body put together. Wow. So that is, you know, pretty impressive in regards to the importance in regards to our health. Uh, over 70% of our immunity is created in the gut. So again, right now in our pandemic is important. Another thing that people don't really think about is like a lot of our neurochemicals like serotonin and melatonin or a feel good chemical, our sleep hormone, primarily produced in our gut. So it, it's, it, and then the other thing to think about is we'll talk about the different components of gut health is over 70% of people have gut dysfunction but 50% may never have a symptom in their gut. It might express itself more as a headache or a skin rash or um, fatty liver disease. You know, so it's gonna come up in a different area of their body, okay. not necessarily constipation, diarrhea, gas, bloating, something specifically in the gut. And I think that is the part that's huge for people to understand um, because that's something that I just recently realized or, or was taught as well was like, that since I don't have gut issues, okay, my, my gut must be fine. So however I'm eating with my stad must be good. But the truth of it is it's just presenting somewhere else. It's presenting in me being higher level stress or being more easily agitated or not able to sleep as well at night or like down the line. Absolutely. And the, so I think you just said something that I wanted to come back to, but the other thing that, that is important is that the vagus nerve, which, which is the longest nerve in our body, connects the gut to the brain. So if the brain's not functioning well, the gut's not functioning well. 
and, and we know that there's over 75% of Americans suffering from emotional and mental health issues right now. So that's huge. So we have to get into the gut and figure out how is that functioning and how do we help correct and rebalance that system so that that will carry over to the other areas in our body. Um, and so I think a big part like with, with our, our three things, three main components when, it, when I think gut health and that's digestion, microbiome and the intestinal barrier. So with digestion, you know, it's one thing of what are you eating? So yes, we wanna clean up what we're eating and how we're eating, but it's not just what we eat, but what does our body do with it? And that's digestion because your, your gut has to break it down so that we can absorb it and use it in the body. In regards to the microbiome, I mean, this is fascinating. So that's our bacteria. And it's actually considered an organ these days because you can have up to six pounds of bacteria in your, in your gut. Yeah. And so we, when we think genetics, we think that we're all different, but each and every one of us have 99.9% of the same human DNA. Whereas in the microbiome, none of us have the same microbiome. And in fact, like what we wake up with is completely different by the time we go to bed. Just and based on what you consume? Yes. Yes. It can, you're, you're the, the lifespan of a microbe of a bacteria is 20 minutes. Wow. So it changes constantly. Uh, and it, and, you know, it has a lot of really good functions. So it makes vitamins like B12 and vitamin K. It may, it controls our metabolism and body composition. Are you familiar with those rat studies? No. So fascinating. So fecal transplants. So that's, that's becoming a hotter topic now. So they were only doing fecal transplants with uh, C. difficile, which is an infection, but they've actually done studies on rats where you've got a lean rat and then you've got an obese rat and they take the microbiome from the lean rat and transplant it into the obese rat and it loses weight. So it has, yes, has a major impact. So I think that we're going to see a day where we're going to see doctors doing fecal transplants for obesity regulation because it has such an impact on our metabolic functioning, whether it's our weight, our, our blood sugars, our lipids, heart disease risk. So there's, there's so many, even our estrogen balance, because there's, there's microbes that will make an enzyme that prevents us from binding and releasing estrogen. So now we're recirculating it back into our body, creating more of an estrogen dominant phase, which is important for both men and women. So I mean, men, men are not exempt from getting breast cancer these days. So it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And it kind of all comes back down to our gut. So, and then the intestinal, go ahead. And so I was just going to say, so that microbiome, which is like that huge organ is something that we can change just based on what we consume. Oh yeah. Oh yes. So there's prebiotics and probiotics. So prebiotics are a lot of the different types of vegetables, like uh, leeks and onions and artichokes, Jerusalem artichokes, chicory, you know, that help to feed the healthy bacteria, which are our probiotics. So that's going to be a lot of your fermented foods, but you can also take supplementation to support it too, because every course, of antibiotics that you take can permanently change your microbiome. Permanent. Just one course. Mm-hmm. They've, they've done studies. I've got a, a graph, which is really um, 
pretty impressive that you take one course of antibiotics and you can see what it does to the microbiome over a year's time. And it, it's not even back to baseline by a year later. So if I, if I had a bunch of uh, like sinus infections, ear infections growing up and took a lot of uh, those medications, like does that throw off my microbiome still now? Or can I like change that? You can change it. I mean, you can change anything. I mean, I so never tell people degree, you're fun. Huh? But only to a certain degree as if I would have like, like if I was, okay. So if I was born like Bradley one, like never took any uh, medication, like ate clean since day one when I was born versus Bradley two, where maybe like mid twenties, I started figuring things out, eating healthier, like don't take any medication now, those types of things. Like when I'm 40, how, how different will those microbiomes look? Cause I'm just wondering like, how much can I change at this point versus like the, you know, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Absolutely. You can repopulate. And so that's where, depending on what's going on, I mean, you can take higher potency probiotics, but yeah, I like to like diversify the strains because each one of us, I mean, there's over a thousand strains of bacteria identified, but each individual has somewhere between 140 and 160. So what that means is we want to continue to, to give that robustness of bacteria, but also the diversity of the bacteria. So even if you are taking a probiotic, change it up every single time, because it's always going to be the same strain. So again, we have 140 to 160 different strains. So change it up, but keep feeding all of the different bacteria. Um, so to, to your point though, I, your microbiome is created in the first two years of life. So if you are born C-section and you're bottle fed, that's setting you up for a lot more challenges as an adult, because you're not getting the natural bacteria from being born vaginally and being breastfed. Oh, so that sets us up. So, I mean, those are the folks that tend to have more of the allergenic and, you know, immunologic type issues down the road uh, and also metabolic to that point. But again, that doesn't mean that you're done. You know, you can certainly improve that. And, and I'm still in the mindset that you can reverse that. Okay. It's absolutely possible. Just take a little bit more time and diligence. That is, that is reassuring. That yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And then the, and then the last one too, Brad, is the barrier. So the intestinal barrier. So if you think of the small intestine, that's where the majority of our nutrients are getting absorbed. And, and if you took that, that small intestine out of your body and you unraveled it, it's as big as a tennis court. And mm -hmm. that, that barrier is just like our skin. So it's protecting us against the outside world. It's just inside our body and it's one cell deep. So it will break down super easy and super quick. But the good news is it's the fastest turnover cell in the body. So we can repair it. It just takes a little bit more dedication again, in regards to how you're living your life. So things like alcohol, anti-inflammatories, antibiotics, infections, stress, and gluten are going to break down that barrier. So, so is gluten always bad? <laughs> but I'm, I, well, I, I can't say that. I can't say that I'm not a black and white gal. Um, in, in America, I would say yes. Because okay. here in the States, it's completely different than if you were to go to Europe and have gluten. 
So we, we have chemically hybridized it. It's vastly sprayed with glyphosate, which is Roundup, which is not gonna help our health in any way. So it's, it's just not the same here. And what we do know about gluten is it will upregulate a protein called donulin, which lives right between the cells of the small intestine. And it's gonna break those junctions open to make you more leaky. So now you're gonna be absorbing undigested proteins and toxins and chemicals and things that you don't want in your body. Right. Yeah, I, I can, I can uh, speak to that. Cause I, um, a couple of years ago was pretty like gluten intolerant. Um, where every time I would eat it, I would get really warm and sweaty and like I couldn't figure it out for a while. And anyway, I went over to India for a week or two and just was able to just like crush bread and all this stuff. And I felt perfectly fine. And so anyway, that that's what I thought of when you were saying that, how um, it's a little bit different. So yeah. And, and it's, and it's the, the quality of the food. It's how it's, it's manufactured or produced. So let's talk, let's dive into, because this is something I'm really excited about is intermittent fasting and how that plays into, I guess, like gut health, the microbiome, like all those things. Um, I'm like 5% educated on it, but I would love to get your, your 95%. Absolutely. So that, you know, that's another like really hot topic these days. And I think the biggest thing um, is that we are as humans, diurnal species which means with light, we should be wakeful. And that's when we should be feeding at dark. That's when we should be fasting and sleeping. But we just don't do that in today's age because we have technology and we have lights and we have jobs that make us work on different shifts. And so that misalignment, but our body doesn't know the difference. I mean, our, our, we have what are called clock genes. So you've got a med clock that's in your brain, and then you have these peripheral clocks that's in every cell in your body. And so they're entrained by exposure to light, no matter what time of day, and also food cues. It's like, when are you eating? So that can disrupt all of those, which again, leads to more metabolic imbalances. So our risk for obesity and, and metabolic disease, like diabetes and heart disease. So really in, in my research around, I mean, there's so many different facets of it, intermittent fasting, like the five, two rule, you fast for, you know, or you eat for five days, you fast for two, or you, you know, you might take a week off and just do a water fast, or you take a day off, or you, you eat 500 calories for several days. It's like the fasting mimicking diet. So there's so many different variations. I think where what makes sense in my brain in regards to all of this is time restricted eating. So that makes the most sense to me. And because I think when we look at it, if you're metabolically and hormonally balanced, which I would have to, to challenge that most of us are not, it, it's going to be harder on the body to do a long fast. I mean, I think if you do a periodic fast, you might be okay with that. Whereas the time restricted eating is really just a 24 hour fast and feed cycle. So I think when we look at, at, at the environment here in, in America, I think over 50% of Americans are eating over 15 hours, which means they're only fasting, you know, nine or less hours. No. So where we've seen the benefit is, you know, start with a 12 hour fast. And then if you can get to a 10 hour fast 
or sorry, 10 hour eating window and a 20 or a 14 hour fast, that's been shown to really drop inflammation, support detoxification, uh, helps with cognitive health as well as sleep and energy. And if you can get down to an eight hour window of eating, and that would be what, 16 hours fasting, that's the, the best for weight and body composition. Okay. Efforts. So that's what I've been single. Go ahead. Is it like the more, the better? Like, so, so I've been, um, I'm super curious about this cause I've been doing the eight on 16 off for, I, tr- I mean, I tried some, you know, some weekend days it doesn't happen or whatever, but I try to do that most days for the last year or so. Um, is it better to go to a smaller window or at a certain point, is it just like, like at that eight hours, it's like, ah, if you go from eight to six, it doesn't really make a big difference or is there anything? How that do you feel? That? What's that? How do you feel since great. doing that? I feel great. Like, like I noticed and, and going back to, um, with gluten where I thought that I had a gluten sensitivity for a long time. And then what I started realizing, cause I like to toy around with things and just like use myself as an experiment was, when I would eat gluten in the morning, like anytime before like noon, or if the first food that I consumed in a day was gluten, then I felt super warm and sweaty and, and bad. But if I did it later in my day, like for dinner, after I already eaten like a high fat meal or with some protein, whatever earlier in the day, then I did much better with carbohydrates in general and also with a little bit of gluten. Um, and yeah, I mean, with, with the eight on 16 off, I feel really good. I am curious though, does it matter? Like, cause like you said earlier with the light we eat with the dark, we fast and sleep. Um, is it important that that eight hour window is during light hours or like if I go from noon to eight is typically like what I would do. Is that not quite as good? Because like it gets dark. I mean, Minnesota, we're getting dark. at <laughs> five. Yeah, I know. So I love that question. That is perfect. So yes, you, you want to be eating in that window of where it's light out. And so that is tough because like, like you, I have a lot of people say, well, then I'm going to eat from 12 until eight or one until nine. And, and what we do know is that the insulin response and thermic effective food. So how you digest and use that food is way stronger early in the day when it's light. So you do, you know, that old adage, eat breakfast, like a king lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper there's actually validity to that ironically because it's it's really kind of aligning again with those circadian rhythms and biorhythms of our body we just work against it because we can because we've got all these artificial lights and devices and things that are going to keep us awake when we should be sleeping and fasting so there is there is a lot more validity to going heavier earlier in the day and then a little bit lighter and be done three hours before bedtime. Because just like digestion can compete with exercise in your muscles, your digestion is also gonna compete with sleep. So we wanna to try to finish that last meal. And, and again, hormonally is by seven, is if you can end. And now it's not always reasonable. I mean, cause if, if you're, if your work schedule doesn't allow or you want right. to be eating with your family. So, I mean, there's got to be some pivots. That's the ideal world. And so even with that, I look at where is somebody is. Okay, when do you start eating, when do you stop eating? And if that's like a 15-hour window, we're certainly not going to start with an eight. 
because they're going to flip out. So I think it's individualized in regards to where are they starting and how can we slowly close that window, but make that window as much as we can during the light hours. And that will change seasonally. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So like what, am I better off doing a late window, um, like of the intermittent fasting, like from like say noon to eight or like uh, honestly probably like two to 10 a lot of the time, like what percentage of the way there am I with that? And would I be better going earlier, but extending the window or keeping the window at eight hours and going later? Well, so I would say for you, because you don't necessarily have weight or fat loss needs, right? Right. So I think even if you have a little longer window of eating, you're completely fine. I would try to, to get you as early as you can. Because what time do you go to bed? Um, about 10, 10.30. So then kind of, I always like to look at when are you going to bed? And that's a great time to be going to bed, by the way, is back that up by two to three hours. So then that should be your, your last food of the day. I like to say too, because you might have dinner and then you snap during the night. So that yeah. counts. I literally every night since I was in high school, so I swear every night I have yogurt and granola before bed, like right before bed. So that's uh -huh. probably, probably not very ideal. I would, I would encourage you to try doing that window a little bit earlier if you can, and then stop at least two hours before bed. But still, still do the yogurt and granola at that two hour mark. You could, you could, but just give yourself that two to three hour break and just see if you notice a difference. Cause do you sleep good? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, so that, that dives into something else that yeah. we'll, we'll have to talk about later where I've been doing a lot of, um, to encourage nasal breathing, like taping my mouth when I sleep, yeah. um, makes a huge difference, world of difference. So what have you noticed? Is that, is that off of that book, Breathe? Uh, yeah. And, on your own? Uh, breathe and then the, the oxygen, oxygen advantage, um, also alludes to that as well. Um, and so interesting. I've had a couple of clients doing that. So what have you noticed? So Tom, I, I got to give Tom credit because he's the one that um, started doing it first and kind of told me about it. And I was like, dude, that sounds ridiculous. I'm like very unsafe. Um, and so I, I did it and I woke up before my alarm, which like never happens. Um, I didn't have my dry mouth. So I, I always wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom like one time in the middle of the night like 3 a.m um didn't have my dry mouth i usually have a bottle of water by my, my nightstand and i always just like take a sip of that before i go back to bed in the middle of the night didn't need to do that um and then when i woke up in the morning i didn't have dry mouth sore throat anything like that um so i was actually breathing through my nose like i should be um and i had more energy like especially so now um i think it's kind of like you notice the impacts less over time. I'm sure it's maybe something too with like, you know, starting a new exercise routine or like changing your diet or whatever it might be where like initially you're like, whoa. And then you like get to that new operating level and then you don't notice it like as much. So the first couple nights I did it, I was like, whoa, like I had way more energy. I just felt better, like less easily agitated. Um, and then now like when I'm really consistent and I do it for like a week straight, I don't really notice it by like day, like four, five, six, seven. Um, but I think that's just because like I'm at a higher operating capacity 
than where I was at prior. And I didn't get that jump, you know? I love that. It almost seems like a, a modified CPAP, <laughs> you know, where you're that. So that's really intriguing. It is, it is uh, one of the like first things that you can start doing if you're having sleep apnea is to try doing that. Or tape your mouth. Yeah, because if you're no. snoring, your mouth is wide open. Your mouth's wide open. That is really interesting. I don't have to try that. And, and like, there's a, there's a, no, no, no. Don't use, do not use <laughs> duct tape. Use, use a, a 3M, makes like a micro pore tape. Okay. Um, that comes out super easily. And especially like for, for guys with mustaches or anything like that, like do not use any other type of tape. Okay. Like, use like a very not super sticky, um, like I said, that micro pore tape or like an athletic tape potentially. And you don't have to do like a big piece. Like don't, don't like seal your mouth, just like a little dab. Yeah. And it's just like, it's kind of like that kinesio tape where it just gives you like a little bit of like neuromuscular feedback so that your subconscious mind can be like, oh yeah, like we're breathing through the nose, you know, not the mouth. And, and it's something where like, you don't want to seal it because you want to still be able to, if for some crazy reason, your body needed to breathe through your mouth, yeah. you still want to be able to do that. You don't want to be like sealed shut. So um, those are the biggest points of advice on it. But no, I would, I would absolutely try it um, because it's super effective. And I've had other people try it and have had very similar results. I haven't had anyone honestly try it and not notice a difference because That's so many mouth breathers, like yes. we're all mouth breathers, not only at night, but throughout the day, you know? And then the other thing actually that I noticed, I know I'm kind of going on a rant here because I'm passionate about this is that when I did that, um, I noticed that it was way easier to breathe through my nose throughout the day because for a long time right. I had been reading about like, all the benefits of like 20% increase nitric oxide and all these different things when you do breathe through your nose. So I would try to breathe through my nose during my workouts and I'd be like five minutes into the warm up and be like, Oh, I can't even like, I need to just gasp for air. Um, and so by doing it at night where I have eight hours where I'm breathing correctly and like training that movement pattern during the day, it's way easier to follow through with that as well. I love that. That's a great, yeah, that's a great tip. Gotta, gotta try it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that. You should. You absolutely <laughs> should. Um, okay, so so we're at about an hour here. Um, I think it's becoming pretty clear to me that we're gonna have to do another episode at some point because we have a lot more to dive into. Um, let's let's maybe do kind of some quick hitters that I just want to go to, um, and then we can always circle back on the next episode next time we have you on. Um, but so we we touched on intermittent fasting. Was there anything you wanted to add on that? I think the, the only thing would be for people to understand the benefits of the fasting. So I think we talked a little bit about, you know, whether your goals are weight or fat loss or losing inflammation, helping to detox, improve your cognitive health. But it, what's happening during the that fasting time is a process called autophagy. And so that's basically your body's garbage disposal. So it, it, your body's able to recycle damaged cell parts and remove them or use them to build new parts when you're fasting. So if we're constantly eating and grazing throughout the day, and that's a whole nother part is, you know, the grazers, why just eat all day long? Well, that's not necessarily good for your blood sugar response and your insulin. Um, and same thing with autophagy or, and just letting your gut rest, you know, so you do kind of want to think about going back to that three meal a day within this window of, of opportunity. 
And so I think that's super interesting too, because for a long time, maybe not as much lately, but like definitely uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, it was all about doing a bunch of small meals throughout the day. That was like what everyone talked about doing. That's way better for you. Like don't have huge like calorie spikes in your day. Um, but so you're saying that three meals is better than having like six meals spread out because of the insulin spike. But balanced. And so I think that's, that's where we, we really didn't get into that. So your, your foundation, I, and I'm not a big advocate of counting calories or measuring anything, just looking at your plate, make sure you have at least like 25% of your plate coming from a high quality protein source. You've got several high quality fats, you know, whether it's the oils or it's your avocado, olives, nuts, seeds. And then you've got 50% coming from colorful plants, a lot more vegetables than your fruits or your starchy vegetables or your whole grains. You know, that way you're going to stabilize your blood sugar until you eat again in about five hours. So yeah. if you're not doing that, then your blood sugar is going to drop soon. You're like, I'm famished. I got to eat something. So that's also like, what are people eating? Is saturated fat really so bad? <laughs> We had to go there, huh? Um, <laughs> that, you know, that's one of the biggest debatable topics in nutrition these days. You know, I don't think that the science has shown that it is the evil that we once thought it was for cholesterol and heart disease and that type of thing. Um, but I also think that it, it's, you, you gotta look at the whole picture. So I, I think a lot of times too, when you dive into the research, you can find something that you're looking for, right? Whether it's on this side of the, the well, spectrum or this side. There's and confirmation bias everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then it's just pinpointed. And that's part of the, the issues with studies is that it's pinpointed on one thing, whereas that's not the only thing we're going to be eating. So I, I think everybody is going to respond differently to that. And part of it is going to be the genetic piece. Like, do you have an APOE marker, you know, in regards to genetics that you're a higher risk for heart disease and or Alzheimer's, then we might want to go a little bit lower. So it, it's very individualized. Uh, and I think as long as you're, you're eating the right type of animal. So if you're, cause your saturated fat comes from animals. And, and, and also your, your tropical oils, like coconut and palm kernel. So if you're talking about meats, like beef and pork, and those are going to be the biggest sources, but it's conventionally raised, that's a whole different story than if it's coming from a grass-fed and finished cow. I mean, the, the, the feed that they're eating and the, the fat composition that they have is way different. And so that's going to affect us way different once we've consumed it. So it's a, it's a, that's a, a deep topic that I, I wouldn't have a, a yes or a no answer. I think there's so many factors that are involved in that answer. I, I, I respect that. Um, <laughs> what is, what is your, actually, no, I do want to ask this question. And um, so when we're talking about gluten being largely negative, we'll say, um, just with what it does to your body for people who are gluten intolerant or like very gluten sensitive. Um, what, what should they eat for like a carbohydrate source? Because I know I, I had, uh, I don't know if I texted you, but something that like a week ago, as far as the arsenic in the rice and like rice based products and mm -hmm. like, what is somebody supposed to do? 
you know, how are they supposed to um, consume carbohydrates? Like, is it all just like, okay, sweet potatoes and like, I don't know, like couscous or things like that? Or, or is there like certain sources of rice that are better or certain brands? That, that's a great question. And, and I think we have to step back and kind of look at a broader picture. So, because if you're, if you're gluten intolerant or you're, or you're celiac, or, I mean, there's such a huge spectrum of sensitivity to allergy. And so if you're avoiding gluten, it's very easy to go to the store and find gluten-free alternatives. So, I mean, you, you've got gluten-free cookies, brownies, chips, pastas, you know, all of these things. So it's a matter of what are we doing? Are we just replacing that with another refined processed food? So we don't want to do that. <laughs> because that's, we're, we're back to square one. And in fact, a lot of those gluten-free alternatives are actually higher in calories and carbohydrates. So if you're trying to manage any type of metabolic condition yeah. or your weight, that's not going to help you. So I, I would say, you know, so coming back to that plate image, you know, we do still want half of our plate coming from colorful plants, but I would argue that the majority of those should be coming from vegetables preferably non-starchy. So that's where our carbohydrates should be coming from. Because when you talk food as medicine, that's the game changer because of the phytonutrients and antioxidants and polyphenols that are in those plants. We're, we're constantly exposed to oxidative stress and inflammation, you know, with how we're living our life and what we're exposed to in the environment and in our diets. That's what neutralizes that. So really thinking about your vegetables as, as your primary carbohydrate source, some fruit as well, because again, that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for the buck nutritionally. And then you can think about legumes. If you can tolerate those starchy vegetables, especially right now in the season. So your winter squashes, your yams, uh, root vegetables are great. Again, nutritionally, uh, otherwise your whole grains. And in that, I always love to have that conversation with somebody too, like what is a whole grain? You know, what, what, would you say that whole wheat pasta and whole wheat bread is a whole grain? I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> so this is the, so now we'll like, think about it. A whole, an actual whole grain will be grown from a plant. Whereas something that's processed is going to be made in a plant. Does that make sense? So, like bread and pasta. So, so you're your whole grain is going to actually be produced from a plant okay. versus your refined and processed grains are going to be made and produced in a plant, like a manufacturing plant. Oh, I got, okay. Got it. Gotcha. Okay. So then I always say, when, when's the last time you've seen a bread tree or a pasta tree? Right. You know, so those, those are processed. Those are not the same. So then you go back to the actual grain like a steel cut oat or buckwheat, even though it has the word wheat in it, buckwheat groats are gluten-free. Rice, I think in regards to the arsenic piece, you know, there, there's, there's bound, I mean, we're going to have heavy metals in our food supply. Um, so that's just one of the things. So, the sushi white rice has the lowest arsenic content. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then you've got millet, you've got some of these more ancient grains, quinoa, amaranth. So you could try those. And then like in place of things that you might be using, you talked about the cauliflower rice. So we could use that 
you know, if, if that works for folks or even in regards to noodles, there's zoodles. So, you know, your noodles that are made from zucchini. So that's oftentimes what we'll use if we make meatballs in the Instapot. You know, we'll put it over zoodle. So there, there's a lot of ways to, to, and then again, we're getting more vegetables into the diet, which is going to be a lot healthier. I feel like I could go on asking you questions like this all day. <laughs> um, so two more. So okay. <laughs> two. Um, advice for the upcoming winter, right? So, so obviously we're in COVID times, um, at least here in Minnesota, things are going to be shutting down again very shortly. Um, there's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of mental health issues, as you alluded to before. Um, what can we do with our diet, either like an easy change to make or something we should look at or a test we can do on ourselves, something to try to combat what's going on with our mental health. And that, and that is a tough, tough thing. Cause I think, you know, because of the times, you know, we were, we're feeling sorry for ourselves. We're feeling confined and quarantined and social isolation and feeling like we don't have the resources. So we fall back on indulgences and things that aren't serving our body physically or mentally. Um, so again, kind of coming back to the sugar and the processed foods and the alcohol. So I think if we can go back to what we've been talking about today is really coming back to whole natural foods, drinking more water, less of these other things. Not that we have to take it hundred percent out. Uh, but I also think that it's being resourceful. So even though your stores might not carry some things, there are so many resources online, whether it's a CSA community supported agriculture, like where you can buy a box of produce or imperfect foods, which is your supposedly imperfect fruits and vegetables, which look just fine, you know, that they can ship to you. Uh, there's, there's a lot of farms that will ship organic grass fed pasture raised meat, you know, so it's just being resourceful and going online and seeking out the foods that you're having a hard time finding yourself. Uh, and then I think it's just, I really encourage that socialization. I mean, having a meal with your family or with your loved ones is, is so much more enjoyable. So do it over Zoom, do it over, you know, a, a, a face or FaceTime, something that you, you're still connecting yourself. I think it's so important to still feel part of a community, you know, whether it's just your, your family unit, your friend unit, or maybe it's a support group, you know, for, for whatever your interests are in that you're going to be fulfilled with. Um, but realizing too, that there's, there's a lot of recipes out there. I, I, I like to use the word paleo because we just did like a, a comfort foods class. So it was a series of four classes that was based off of paleo like uh, recipes for breads or cookies or muffins for pancakes and pizza. And it's like, let's face it. We want to have these things. We want to indulge, but why jeopardize our health? You know, we should still be able to enjoy life and, and do it easily and, and cost effectively. Um, so just really thinking outside the box and how can you actually nourish your body and nourish your cognitive health um, through what you're eating and drinking, but then also stay connected. I love that. I love, yeah, just looking at it from more of a holistic, all the different aspects. What are... Um, as far as like grass fed meat, what are some good like companies or brands? Like I'm familiar with like Thrive Market. I'm not sure if there's like some are better than others or anything that you're familiar with on that end. 
I think you know, Thrive Market does have a few of those things, but Thrive Market, what I found is they, they have um, warehouses all over the place. So it really is, is dictated by what that warehouse in your local oh. area has. Because I know even for myself, when I tried to order some things, I ordered it and then I got a note saying my warehouse doesn't carry that. Um, so that was just so people are aware of that. Um, Vitacost is another resource online that's more for your shelf stable products at a discount. Uh, for for meats, I think just checking if you like here in Minnesota, we have a lot of co-ops. So the natural food co-ops. And so we're they're supporting the local farms that are actually raising the, the feed and feeding them the right way. So you can get the grass-fed and finished and pastured poultry from our, our local farms here. Otherwise, going online and looking like Butcher's Box, I think is a common one that people go to. Um, there's actually a place in Northern Illinois called Blackwing that has a lot of unique uh, types of meats and, and your conventional type of meats that are, are getting pastured or grass-fed. So it's the, the high quality and they'll ship it with dry ice no matter where you are. So there's, there's a lot of different resources out there. Like I said, Imperfect Foods, you know, they, I think they even have some animal products along with the fruits and vegetables. So it's a lower cost, um, but, and then you can pick whether it's organic or, and preferably you're, you would pick organic versus not, but then you can choose like by family size and, and what you want to be ordered. That's perfect. I love that. I'm just taking a lot of notes because I want to have these yeah. resources in the show notes here. Um, okay. I think, so, I, can, I, can I just say one thing too about just kind of this whole pandemic? Because it's, you know, it's one thing that we just got to alter our mindset and, and you know, take charge, but also realize that we're, we're human and we're not perfect. And so there's, there's going to be some roadblocks. There's going to be some slips and that's a-okay. I mean, that's actually how we learn and that's how we grow and how we get stronger and healthier long-term. So I, I like to use a rule of that's 80, 20 or 90, 10, like it, as long as you're compliant 80 to 90% of the time, you've got 10 to 20% play and you're going to be completely fine. That's, that actually was a perfect lead in to my last question. Nice. Where, what is your thoughts? And you may have just answered it on like a cheat day. So like a lot of like athletes or like coaches might be listening to this and all right, like, you know, Monday through Saturday, I'm just, I'm locked in, I'm eating healthy, I'm drinking much water, all those things. Like, what are your thoughts on having either a cheat meal or a cheat day? Or it's like Sunday, you know, I might have some, some frozen pizza and I might have like a burger and some fries or something like that. Absolutely. I'm all about, you know, I, I'd probably go, I'd probably err more towards a cheat meal versus a whole day per se, um, just so that you feel better that way. And right. depending on what you're cheating with, because there's there's also one element in regards to if you have let's say you had celiac i mean you're not going to cheat on a pizza or a hamburger bun you know so it just, just depends or if you know that there are certain foods that are really inflammatory for you and set you off you wouldn't want to cheat on those but you can still cheat on things that you wouldn't normally be eating so absolutely because even with that 80 20 rule that really comes out to be four meals in a week that you can, you can flex from, yeah. so that gives you some, and, and I thought of 21, so that's not, make sure I did my math right, so that's, you know, pretty decent in regards to that, but just putting it in perspective. Right. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, perfect. So, 
like I said, we'll have to have you on again because we still have a lot of things to cover and a lot of questions. And uh, I think, honestly, I think I just wrote down a bunch more questions that I have for the future um, and some personal ones where I'll probably have to reach out to you on those too. So uh, that being said, if somebody is listening to this and they're like, hey, like, you know, Cindy really knows what she's talking about. I think she could really help because I have XYZ situation, which just so that you are aware, um, pretty much any situation that you are in, I think that she can help, right? Because like we said, that microbiome and how that plays in, like your, your gut health has 10 times more cells and 100 times more genes. I wrote that down and bolded it and underlined it uh, the whole rest of your body. So, so that is something that, especially in this holiday season, I think it's beneficial to, um, you owe it to yourself to kind of focus on that. Um, so if somebody is in that state of mind, how can they get a hold of you? What's the best way to reach you or just check out your website? So they can check out my website. It, it's lockhart-wellness.com. Otherwise, you can email me at cindy, C-I-N-D-I, at lockhart, L-O-C-K-H-A-R-T, hyphen, wellness.com. Those are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Um, but I do want to also encourage, like, all of us are on our own health journey. And it is a journey. And so we're going to have, you know, little roadblocks, we're going to have little detours. And, and so it's really a matter of like, what I what I really get a kick out of is walking next to that person on their journey. I'm the GPS system. So I, I'm, I'm not the driver. You know, the other person is the driver, I'm just the resource and the navigation system, but helping people understand the why behind anything that we're going to do. Um, but literally listening to the story. And, and I love like everything. I mean, I've been working with clients for years, like they just don't break up. They just keep coming back for more sessions. And it's amazing, even after a year, year and a half working together, things are still coming out that I, we didn't even talk about or didn't even know was happening. So our stories continue to unfold. And I think that that's a really big thing too, is we may not think about all of the components of our life and how they impact our health and, and our destination. So it, it's, no, realizing that this is a journey, it's not, it's not going to be a one size fits all. It's not going to be a one and done. I mean, it's going to continue to evolve and adjust. I love that. I love that. That is hundred percent giving empowerment, giving autonomy, giving people the tools they need to succeed. But at the end of the day, you can't do it for them. I can't do it for them. We can just be that GPS system for them. So that is great. You had a bunch of great analogies today that I think are really going to help drive home some crucial points. Um, loved having you on. Thank you so much. Uh, for all the listeners, continue to change the system. Do not just address the symptoms. <laughs>